HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. What comes to mind when you think of kosher wine? We'll talk about that and a lot more today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, I'm Linda Palaccio, and today on A Taste of the Past, we're going to explore kosher wines. I think what most people think of in kosher wine is probably not a single vineyard Cabernet from California, or a soft, not-too-oaky Chardonnay, or even a sparkling Moscato from Italy. No, probably not. I think what most often comes to mind is that perhaps first taste of that cloying, sweet, concord grape wine so many of us know. And for too many years, kosher wines have been almost synonymous with Manischewitz. Not that Manischewitz is a bad thing, but certainly not something you want to drink with a fine meal. Well, get ready for a revelation if these have been your thoughts, because today's kosher wines have come such a long way, along with modern gastronomy. And in doing research for today's show, I was I was really truly impressed with how many selections, I mean the vast selection of kosher wines in the market and how many different companies and distributors. Well, I'm fortunate today to have with me one of the representatives from one of the distributors and producers of kosher wine, Jay Buxbaum from Royal Wine Company. Jay is the Vice President of Marketing for Royal Wines. Welcome, Jay. Thank you very much, Linda. Glad to be here. It, you know, this has been a real education for me. I have to say that over the past few years, friends have come back from Israel with wonderful wine saying, oh, you got to taste this wine. It's really great. And I've been unduly impressed by that and Israel is pretty much rocking the wine world with with a lot of their wines but it's not just Israel we're talking kosher wines from all over the world right you bet uh there's now, I think, 13 or 14 countries that kosher wines are brought from. Of course, the traditional ones, Spain, Italy, but even uh, more edgy ones, uh, New Zealand, hmm. uh, Chile, Argentina, um, 
Hungary. wines you might be drinking that you're not even aware are kosher wines. That's right. right? That's right. All right. Well, tell me, uh, the Royal Wine Company, they've been around for a long time. They've got quite a history uh, in winemaking and and wine distributing as well. Tell me a little bit about Well, the Herzog family actually started making wine in 1848 in Czechoslovakia. Hmm. And they were the uh, knighted, if you will, uh, supplier to the crown at that time. In 1948, uh, after being hid, hidden by their own employees during the Holocaust, uh, they, they left Czechoslovakia and came to these shores and started making uh, traditional wines. As you mentioned earlier, you know, the Manischewitz under the Kedem label type wines, which were also very high quality, but in that sweet syrupy mold. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, so for, uh, that was actually my first taste of wine, period, yeah, was and then, Manischewitz. And then eventually, not eventually, in the 1960s, they brought in their first Bordeaux's. And the rest, huh. as they say, is history. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's just, you know. So now there. they're in the uh, eighth generation of winemakers at the Herzog family, Royal Wine Corp. And we've got a winery in California, the Herzog Winery. So the family is, there is still Herzog family oh, involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Very much so. Huh. And we've got offices in France and in um, England and in Israel and uh, hopefully and uh, California, of course, and upstate New York near the wine-growing regions, as well as uh, in New Jersey and New York. Mm-hmm. I've actually, is, is Kadem Winery, that's Royal? That's right. I've passed by there many times driving upstate. Yeah. Uh, all right, so here comes the big question, right? What is kosher wine? Yeah. What makes the wine kosher? You know, I do these seminars all the time, and I ask that question to people. Invariably, the biggest answer, or the most frequent answer, is that it's blessed. In fact, the opposite is true. The objective of kosher wine is to keep blessing out of wine. In pagan times, before monotheism, uh, the most famous of all gods of wine was Bacchus and Dionysus, right? And they used to pour wine for those pagan in those pagan rituals. Well, the rabbis at that time decided that, hey, we don't want that wine used in our daughter's wedding or a son's bar mitzvah or at a, at a circumcision, etc. And so they, they decreed that from the crushing of the grape until the sealing of the bottle to make sure that it wasn't defiled spiritually, uh, it was all overseen and handled only by their observant crew. And uh, that's really what makes kosher wine. It's really keeping the blessing out of wine. And it's really, the message is, it's up to you, the consumer, to make that wine special, to make that wine, you know, important to to put the blessing in if that's your proclivity, you know. And, And that's what kosher wine is. From the crushing of the grape until the sealing of the bottle, it's overseen and handled by an observant Jewish crew. And what 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 about the boiling of wine? There was for a long time it was thought that all kosher wine was boiled wine. Well, the, that commonly known in in Hebrew is called mivushal, which actually means cooked. But today we put the we put wine that is mivushal uh, through a pre-fermentation thermostabilization, which means basically that it's flash pasteurized. And often this flash pasteurization takes place at the juice stage, not at the wine stage. Uh-huh. And so fermented wine never sees, in most, in many cases, uh, uh, this kind of... But there are many kosher wines that don't go through this process, and uh, you're going to be tasting some that are and some that aren't today. Interesting. Well, um, in the early and mid and mid century is that when did the when did the changeover from the strictly uh, 
I guess um, sweet wines. Sweet wines. Very simple. When Americans or Jewish Jewish people came to this these shores starting at the turn of the century, they mostly settled right here in frankly Manhattan or Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. Right uh, here we Stone's are in, throw from in here. Bushwick, Bushwick Ex- and Bushwick. Yeah. In fact, you can see some of the streets are named after some of those early you know comers. And anyway, the only wine is an integral part of every part of Jewish life, Friday nights, every celebration, etc. And the only grapes that were available were the Labrusca variety. Those grapes, in fact, need sugar in order for them to make them palatable. Hmm. And so that's when this tradition, in fact, it's a new tradition. It's only 100 years old or so that kosher wines are sweet. In Europe, Wines were made in France, wines were made in Italy, and the Jewish communities there, and I'm sure they were the local wines, which were not sweet at all. So when the change occurred was in the 60s, when you know shipping and, and that kind of thing was much easier to do, and so importation of better wines started the kosher wine revolution here in America in the 60s, and has really zoomed up, I mean... Wine spectator, wine enthusiast Robert Parker are talking about 90s and above in many cases for some of these kosher wines. So it was really the the sweet wine was really more uh, in the vast in the the sweep of of the immigrants coming here and making that. So we have to dispel the notions we have of Absolutely. those origins, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about let's talk about. The Israeli wines, which have been, as I said, kind of sweeping the market. Uh, what's 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 with what's with? I mean, Israel is that a, it's a good area for growing grapes. There are so many examples. Uh, we're going to be tasting Domaine du Castel, which some consider, <clears throat> excuse me, the Chateau Margaux of Israel. But there's Carmel and Binyamina and Barkan, and these wines, the modern winemaking industry. I should say, 100 years ago, was started by the Rothschilds, who brought the first plantings to the Shomron and to Zichron and to areas in the central part of the country, uh, kind of like the um, southern France varieties uh, of those times. Uh, And then, in the last, uh, starting in about 1967, actually the first vintages, excuse me, 1973, the first vintages coming out of the the Golan Heights uh, were varietals. Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Hmm. Merlot, uh, made by the Golan Heights Winery. And today, really doing great stuff with it are, as I said, Carmel, Barkan, Castel, Benjamina, new little boutique wineries, Shiloh, and oh, there's a host of others that have have gotten great reviews that's just really exploded the wine business. Well, in looking down the list of some of them, I noticed some wines, I guess particularly from um, Italy and well, and France as well, that I never even realized were kosher wines. I mean, what when you look, let's say that you're in the market to bring a bottle of wine to um, a, a Passover Seder and you want to buy a kosher wine for your host, what do you look for? I think just like you would look for any good bottle of wine, uh, when you go to your retailer, if you have a good retailer and you should, ask him for his suggestions of what. Which of these kosher wines, for, for whether it's Passover or Rosh Hashanah or any, or even just uh, you know to enjoy good wines from Israel, which one of these wines do you suggest? And you know the producers invariably, us of course as being the leaders, want to be judged by the quality of the wine, not by whether it's kosher or not. Mm-hmm. And that's first and foremost. Um, you know, it's interesting to note that the oldest 
presses geologically you know found are in Israel not in Italy not in France they date back thousands of years and in fact uh, the Roman legions would you know the would would use a flagon of wine that they gave to every single one of the troops mm-hmm. where did that wine come from it came from Judean hills from Jerusalem area hmm. so what you're really looking for in kosher wines whether it's from Italy or France Rothschild out of Chateau right. Clark is now making delicious Bordeaux, Medocs, that are both in the great tradition of Medoc, but also in the great tradition of kosher, and they're wonderful wines. So what you're really looking for is just great wine that happens to be kosher. And on the label, is there anything uh, that indicates that it is kosher on the label? Most wines that are kosher have uh, several different symbols that you can look for. First of all, the word kosher, of course, but um, even if that word is not there, and some don't have it, have a simple designation, either a circle U or a circle K mm-hmm. or a, a something called a Kaf K. The Hebrew so the same as you'd K. find on the foods. Exactly. You know, I mean, look, you know, take um, Coors Beer has an OU. Mm-hmm. Hershey's Chocolates have an OU. Um, Hunt's Puddings have a circle K. I can go on and on and on. And uh, nobody puts them in the pigeonholed kosher section right. in the supermarket. They're right there with the with the candies or with the vodka or with no, the it's beers. No, and that's absolutely true. So many of the large um, food manufacturers and companies, I mean, they need that designation. Right. Or, you know, they, they lose a good share of the market. And, of course, they, you know, there are different ways they, you know, they have to. Help. Yeah, there should be no compromise in kosher, especially in when it comes to kosher wine. In fact, uh, you know, if anything, what our objective is to make the wines as good or better as the as the counterparts of the same varieties in the same price range from the same areas. All right. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about this combination of uh, of great grapes and kosher designation and taste a couple wines too when we come back after a short break. Manager Cliff Garrison describes their philosophy. Raising cattle on grass is both an ancient practice and one that is standard in much of the modern world. Sometimes the old ways are the right ways. We believe that our methodology is the right one for us. For more information on their premium grass fed beef, visit firstranch.com. We are back talking about the evolution of kosher wines with Jay Buxbaum from Royal Wine Company. And Jay, we were talking about some of the um, the history of the of kosher wines, which actually goes back to the history of wine in uh, you know pagan times, as you were saying. Right. Uh, so, of course, we know Excuse there were me. good winemakers um, all along, but for a long time, and I'm you know I know only from. Uh, the American market, 
kosher wines were not really available in the regular wine stores. Uh, I mean, you had to look, and it was relegated to a back shelf someplace. Right. You know. Back bottom shelf. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, tell me a little bit that, about this, because that, that's certainly changed a lot. Well, it's not only the uh, wine shops, but it's also the restaurants. There are several hundred restaurants in the New York metropolitan area now that are carrying one form of kosher wine or another. And again, it's uh, an, another example is uh, Bartonura uh, Moscato di Asti is now the largest selling upscale imported wine, kosher w- wine, excuse me, Moscato in America. And that's not a kosher designation. I mean, it's just because it's a delicious bottle of wine. And it's not the least expensive either. It's really a high-quality bottle of wine. Uh, Baron Herzog and Herzog wines are found on many wine lists Mm -hmm. throughout the country. Uh, And that's, again, you know, it it took a long time, uh, starting in the turn of the last century (laughs) till about the late 60s and mid-70s and finally into the 90s, when the quality of the kosher wines have grown so much that people are recognizing them as just delicious wines all right well now you've brought a couple of bottles for us to taste and um so i I was actually in in doing some of the research i was reading about you know when things shifted over and i ran across an article from sydney retsky um talking about is you know kosher wines and israeli wines and and being not what you think and he said probably the best way for anyone to appreciate the difference or lack of difference is to taste them side by side. There well, you go. We don't have lots of other wine here to taste side by side. So I'm just going to take my taste buds word for it and tell me what you've got for us to try. Well, the first wine we're tasting, which just was uh, uh, considered a considered a considered a Best Buy by Wine Enthusiast magazine is uh, Baron Herzog Chardonnay. And this wine, you know, I do seminars for people all the time, and they think that I'm coming in to talk about kosher wine, and I bring some wines, and I go, you know, when I flew here, I just did this in Ottawa Hmm. for a group of uh, retailers there, which is owned by the state, government, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I I said, you know, we forgot the samples, the kosher samples. I do have samples here, but the samples that you're going to be tasting today are not kosher. Uh-huh. And then I let that, you know, hang in the air for a minute, and we taste the wine. And then about two minutes later, I go, they they go, wow, this wine is really delicious. I wonder if the kosher wine is as good, you know? And then I go, I lied. The wine is kosher. So <laughs> that's what I'd like you to do. Taste okay. it that way. Well, that's why I said we don't, you know, not we don't have it side by side, but I'll rely, I'll rely on this my own wine. This wine has has partial malolactic fermentation. This wine has partial surly. This wine has wonderful vanilla and uh, really good structure as well, which is unusual when you have that vanilla and fatness to the wine. And the, this is from California. This is from California. This is from Baron Herzog. It's a 2010 vintage Chardonnay, Central Coast. It's got a little bit of, of Sonoma Chardonnay in it. It's nice. That is very nice. It's it's crisp. It's but yet so, it's got that soft edge to it. Right. And uh, and what's the percentage of alcohol in this? This is thirteen point three. Okay. And I did swallow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What, what you know? What's nice about this is that this is a wine that <clears throat> even though it's got those components, malolactic fermentation, some mm-hmm. surly, some barrel. 
fermentation, some uh, a bit of aging as well. It's still only about twelve to fourteen bucks all over the all over the country. Wow, wow, interesting, very interesting. Um, and and as you poured and said something, there was something else I wanted to bring up about that wine. But it is indeed. Oh, oh! When you're talking about Ottawa, though, is the entire wine industry in Canada owned by the yes, state? Yes. Wow, I did not know you that. You cannot, you cannot buy wine in the state in in all of Canada. Almost, yeah, I think all of Canada, unless you buy from the government. Well, and that's almost as strict as what you know. We not almost as strict, not even close. But you know, we still have our strict rules about shipping wines across the state. In fact, I was at an event last night, and someone made. An ancient hippocras, which is you know a sweetened with um, usually honey or sugar loaves and lots of spices in it, but she made it in California because it had to sit in age for a couple of weeks. They had to don't tell anyone. They had to smuggle. They had basically had to <laughs> smuggle it in. They you know ship packaged it up and shipped it as spiced vinegar. Yeah, because it's almost what it is. Well, <laughs> but, you know we still but have, we still have because they're in California and we still have those. You I think know, those we still laws. have a. a about 11 states that are actually government controlled so pennsylvania for example all the wine shops in pennsylvania liquor and wine shops are all owned owned and operated by the government interesting and there are many others new hampshire is an example yeah it makes it makes it a problem we have to try to get away from those what are you pouring now here's what we're we're pouring now is um Domaine du Castel. I brought three wines, kind of like a first course wine, a main course wine, and a dessert wine. And this Domaine du Castel is considered by many to be the premier wine from Israel. It comes from, uh, in Hebrew, it's called Hari Yehuda, the Judean Hills. And it's made in, in packed terrazzo lime soil. Uh, it has tremendous complexity. It is a what we call a classic Bordeaux blend of Cabernet Merlot, Cabernet Franc, mm-hmm. and Petit Verdot, a drop of Petit Verdot, depending on the vintage, and um, and even some Malbec from time to time. And, uh, well, you tell me. Okay. Serena Sutcliffe got a good, got a was the note. first one to notice it. And invariably, they only make three wines. It's interesting. Actually, they're experimenting with a rosé, but they only make three wines, and that's... Uh, Grand Vin, Petit Castel, and Castel C. And uh, each one of those wines, every single year, whether it's Parker or Wine Enthusiast or Spectator, gets 90 and above. So, This is a very, very interesting wine. What's the vintage on this? This is 2009. This is spent at least, this is spent at least two years in oak. I mean, they're even careful about when they bottle it. They only bottle it at certain times of the moon, huh. you know, when the moon is in certain constellations, like in order to make sure that everything's perfect. They're not alone. Gardeners, too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They plant. They only plant at a certain phase of the moon, and yeah, it's very it's, important it's really, to some gardeners. You know, that, that's how careful yeah. some of these wineries are, whether it be Herzog or Castel or so many of the other wineries. All right. Now, let me take a sip of water between here so I can really... Uh, Oh, that was the wine. Okay, uh, that this is this is very and and what is the and they have how many? It's a varietal. So how many different? What do we have in there? You have, I'm sorry, you have seventy percent Cabernet, twenty three percent Merlot, five uh, percent Petit Verdot, and yeah. And what would this retail for? This is about sixty five dollars. Hmm. Interesting. 
Very fine wine. Sells out Very every nice. year. The, the the entire production, they, they're considered a medium-sized winery by Israeli standards, and they make about 10,000 cases. By American standards, that's considered a tiny boutique. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we only get around 2,000 cases here of all three varieties hmm. a year, and it sells out every year. It's really quite, a, quite an outstanding wine. But more importantly, or as important as the wine itself, specifically this wine, is the kind of quality that the category of kosher wine has come to this is an example of that yeah i mean i it and as you said if you had lied to me beforehand and i had just closed my eyes i would i'm how am i to know i'm you know there's no there's no way i could know that's very interesting very good very nice wines and i hear the glug 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 he's pouring something else aha of course now we have dessert right as i was saying as I was saying before, I brought three wines. The first wine was meant to be as kind of like the appetizer or the first course wine, a wonderful Chardonnay from California, from Baron Herzog. The second wine was this Grand Vin Castel, which is a great middle wine for... Mm-hmm. Could, nice, a nice roast. A nice, a nice yeah, roast. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually like this wine with something with complex flavors, not just plain grilled or broiled, but something with... A good Lots sauce, of, a nice sauce. A nice with it, yeah. sauce with mushrooms and onions and pearl onions and it know. has a little, you know, a little hint of the spice spiciness to it that can really stand up to uh, to a complex dish. A, you know, a, a you know, a, a yeah, or even like a a um, a fowl, you know, like a deep right. You know, and so many of the deep, wines, whether fowl. they're from Herzog or Benjamina or Castel or. <laughs> Shiloh mm-hmm. or Barkan. Barkan makes great wines at ten, twelve, fifteen bucks. Hmm. Just great. But well, now th- this is so. This now we're on to dessert. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this wine is uh, is the famed Bartonura uh, Moscato. Moscato. It comes in a blue bottle. Uh, yeah. When I saw that, and I saw you pouring, it, I said, "Wait, wait, wait! Is this a red or a white?" And then I and then actually, and I cheated and I saw the label, but um, indeed, so it was nice and clear, but blue and very pretty. Yes. Yeah. And in this category, this is the leader. And it's got a bit of a blush to it, this Moscato. Well, actually, no. That's that's. <laughs> oh, just... that's the leftover red wine in your glass. I thought <laughs> yeah, you rinsed. It's the leftover <laughs> red wine. Okay. I tried, but I guess I we got. I did. I rinsed. I still no. It's golden. It's just beautiful yeah, golden. It's just, yeah. yeah. Okay. Let me let me taste this one. It it is definitely a a, a very elegant Moscato. Sweet, uh, which Moscato? You know, unless you're that's designated as a dry one is. Um, but the bubbles are are very soft. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not an aggressive sparkling, which no. is which is very what, nice, lovely. In, in Italian, we call that frizzante. Yes, but yes. also what I love about this wine is that it's not only sweet and delicious and aromatic. It's also got a little bit of a kick of just a tiny drop of acidity that allows it to be beyond that cloyingly sweet mm-hmm. flavor that you get from so many other lesser Moscatos. Mm-hmm. This wine has a little bit of structure so that you can really right. drink this with, uh, oh gosh, a sweet and sour infused Italian or French or, well, Italian or Chinese. I would say often with a with a very spicy yeah. uh, sauce, a spicy dish with that has, you know, often a... Um, a very sugary sauce as well, right. spicy as you said, sweet and sour. Right. Yeah, that would cut it. It would. It would make because it. it's got that kick of acidity that allows it to be a little bit more structured uh-huh. than so many others. Uh huh. It's very nice. Uh, so there are. I mean, there are 
quite a few distributors. Royal is a ama- you there's they produce wine, as you said, the Herzog vineyards, but also distribute a lot of the other wines as we just saw and tasted here today. Right. And there are quite a few other distributors throughout of of kosher wines. So I mean, the market should be, you would think, you know, somewhat more, a little more saturated. But people are slow to find out about a lot of these wines. Um, uh, how are you? How are you trying to? to I'll give you one example. Away, There's aware a, of these. This is listened to all over the country. So, for example, Binnie's, which is a chain in Chicago, has set up. Next to the kosher section, but not in the kosher section, a complete separate section for Israel as a country. And that's happening more and more. Um, Our Chardonnays or our Baron Herzog wines are finding themselves not only in the kosher section, but now in the California section next to other Chardonnays and Cabernets. Uh, You know, um, our Italian, the Moscato, uh, is finding itself. There are, for example, in the state of Pennsylvania, this Moscato is in approximately 300 locations. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's only about 40 or 50 or 60 locations that are in Jewish areas. So you're going to see more and more as people recognize more and more the wines simply for their quality and recognize that a little bit more extra careful oversight goes into making kosher wine. Uh, people are going to recognize it more and it's going to go into more of the regular sections. And yet the process is still the same tried and true century, millennia old uh, winemaking procedures that yeah. that developed kosher wines, from just, the beginning. Just quickly, kosher wines will not find gelatin in their wines, which some wineries do. Many wineries don't, non-kosher, as a fining agent. Will not find sodium casinate, which is a dairy byproduct for acidification. They'll use only natural acidification from the grape juice itself, etc. There's about... So, many good wineries, non-kosher, do the same thing, but you can be rest assured that that happens in kosher wine. Interesting. Well, it has been a real education for me, I will say, and I hope that our listeners have learned a thing or two as well. And I will now peruse those shelves and look a little closer to see what varieties of wine I find there, and I'm sure that I will recognize a few. Jay, it's been a pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your wines as well. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to finish my glass of wine. Linda, thank you for inviting me. Uh, Good luck with uh, your network and your show and hope to listen to it a lot. Thank you. Okay, this has been Linda Palaccio on A Taste of the Past. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.